0: Wow, I don't know how I'm going to live up to that intro. That was impressive. So um, I, like Maggie said, um, I've been attending here. I shouldn't say just me. I've been attending with my family since the first Sunday that you all came back in person. Um, So that's been kind of our story since being a part of this community. And I'm a a board member, Um, I also am just um, a lover of faith and of people and of people who try to understand what it means to seek after uh, the person of Jesus and the way that we have met God through Christ. Um, So like Maggie said, this is the final installment of our three-week series, Head, Heart, Hands. And so when Matt and Debbie were like, you know, I did, I shouldn't blame them. I chose this date, so it was me. Um, But when I thought hands, that's not a broad topic at all. It's not like 100,000 ways to start this sermon. Um, But the basics of what we would love for all of us together to gather from this tonight is that we want to understand what we do with our hands communicates and tells people how we show up in our faith how our faith inhabits us, the way that we move and exist in our communities. What we do with our hands matters. Not only what we believe in our head, what we know in our heart, but how we make that um, come out in a real way through our hands. And so um, I thought that was the best place to start is to think about what is the function of our hands? What's the purpose behind having these things that can make such a difference? I think it's fascinating that your hands can tell a story about who you are, take a moment and just look at your hands. They are uniquely yours. Maybe you have some cuts on them. Maybe you have some calluses. Maybe your fingernails are painted. Maybe you have scars that tell a story. Maybe, does anyone have a scar on their hand and you remember exactly how you got it? Yeah. So our stories tell a lot about who, or our hands tell a lot about who we are. Um, I think of the greatest Christmas movie ever, *The Muppets Christmas Carol*, and I write. And in that movie, Rizzo the Rat says that he knows the story like the back of his hand. And so, once again, we see that hands not only tell a story of us, but we can know someone else's story through their hands. I I think it's interesting the way that it is strangely beautiful and kind of intimate. Um, to know somebody well enough to think about what their hands look like. Like I know a lot of you, but I don't think I could really recall the ins and outs of what your hands look like. But there are other people that I have a deep connection with that I've known for years that right now in my mind I, I know exactly what their hands look like. Some of those people are my dad. My dad for the longest time was a mechanic. And so my dad would come home and he smelled of like car grease and I always knew what his fingerprint would look like because grease was woven all throughout his, his hand. Um, really rough knuckles from kind of going underneath cars and beating them up, and there were always scabs on his hands. I, I think of my grandmother... Who never did it professionally, but was this master seamstress? And the way that she would um, wear the pin cushion on her wrist, and she would pull out the pins, and she would put me up on a riser when she was hemming my clothes, and somehow she never pricked me, but was so fast putting those pins in. And I remember the way that her hands looked when she did that. Um, I think about my best friend Maggie and the way that um, her fingernails are shaped because she talks a lot with her hands. So whenever I'm talking to her, I get like a front row seat at the way that her fingernails are. I think of my brother, Will, and the fact that he uh, sometimes likes to sketch and the way that he holds his pencil and the way that he'll um, at times be very light and the way that he just barely touches the paper with the lead or sometimes bears down to do shading. And then I think of Jude and Esther Uh, they're in here right now, our two kids, and one of them is. Um, But I think of their tiny hands putting Band-Aids on. Right, Esther? We use Band-Aids at home. And sometimes we have to put Band-Aids on your fingers. So I know what their hands look like. And then I know how my husband's hands feel on my back when he hugs me. Like I know I can tell the shape of them just from being on my back. So it's... Once again, it is strangely intimate, and maybe you haven't thought about it this much, but hands are a big part of the way that we know people, um, the way that we are joined together. And scripture, it may come as no surprise to you, talks a lot about hands. So throughout various texts, hands can be used for good, and in other scriptures they have been used to cause harm or destruction. I'm not going to read you the exhaustive list of every time hands are mentioned in scripture, but some pieces that jumped out at me. Psalm 134, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Genesis 3, then the Lord God said, see, the humans have become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now they might reach out their hands and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Genesis 27 he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed Jacob instead. Genesis 37 Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, Joseph being him, and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother. Exodus 9 Moses said, As soon as I have gone out from the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord, and the thunder will cease. Psalm 63. I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. Psalm 138. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast Lord, your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Lamentations 3: Let us lift up our hearts as well as our hands to God in heaven. In Zechariah 8: Thus says the Lord of hosts: let your hands be strong. The um, sad reality, but we can't run from it, is that horrible things have been done with our hands. Um, We read throughout scripture and I think that um, we need to be honest about what we see in scripture in the sense that there are executions. There is people grabbing plunder after battle. There is uh, greed overwhelming any type of redeeming quality that we see being done with hands. There is blood that is on people's hands. Yet scripture also says, that our hands can be made clean. It says that God can bless what comes forth from our hands, the work that we use to do with our hands. It also says that the hands of this holy God are welcomed and celebrated. Scripture talks about how when the hands of God fall on you that it is a thing to be grateful for. And it also says to fall into human hands is something that is to be feared. Hands are used to bless and uplift, and they're used to display wild abandon and worship. The laying on of hands and some different understandings of Christianity can bring not only metaphorical but actual physical healing. Yet it would be a huge misstep on my part if I didn't remind us not only of what our hands can do. Um, I'm refraining from telling my child to not walk over there right now. Um... <laughs> But also the task that I believe that we are called to because we are people that believe that our faith can be exercised through our hands. So I say that not only as individuals, but as a body, that there is a a call that we have. Um, And so randomly, uh, when I was thinking about hands, I thought of the book of Nehemiah because that's the first place we all went, right? Um, And so Nehemiah chapter six explicitly refers to the calling of our hands as a people who seek to serve God. So um, the passage is brief, but it's verses eight and nine. And it said, Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you have as you say have been done. You are inventing them out of your own mind, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking, their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, strengthen my hands. So a little background on the book of Nehemiah. Um, Scholars believe that Ezra and Nehemiah were actually one book at a certain point. Um, Ezra is the book that comes right before Nehemiah. Um, And these two guys lived around the same time, um, around 445 BCE, in case you were wondering. I found it fascinating. Um, So Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer for the king. And that was actually a pretty significant role to have in the court because he was a person that was able to give informal advice to the king. He frequently had the little literal ear of his king. And so um, he was a pretty important guy. And so at some point in the story, Nehemiah gets word from his brother who had taken a visit to Judah that things had gotten pretty bad, that the people were troubled because the walls of Jerusalem were in pieces, and the gates were virtually non-existent. And it seems that this is a recent event. Um, so this has really gotten into the head of Nehemiah, and he's upset. So his buddy, the king, notices that he's not as chipper as he normally is, and he says, you know, hey, what's happening? What's going on? And so he tells him about his, his people and the place from where he had come, and um, Nehemiah is then given authorization by the king to go and rebuild this place that was so sacred to him, this work that had been so significant as a a body of of people who sought this faith, this place that held so much importance that that was a place he was going to return. And so Nehemiah is obviously thrilled that he gets to go and do this. And this is not a small task. There are people who have a lot of sway, not only in society, but in politics in that time. There are people who would not want these um, walls to be built, not for some type of um, reason that they had something against walls, but also just because of the way that um, there were dynamics going on with you didn't want someone who you were trying to rule over to kind of have a leg up and then kind of start rebuilding themselves as a people. And so Nehemiah is so desperate to seek out this mission that he goes to inspect the walls in the middle of the night And so he makes a plan, he's going to rebuild this, and then that's where we find ourselves in chapter 6. Because there are these two families that kind of represent a lot of the power um, in this situation. And these two men who are representing these two families are plotting against Nehemiah and saying, hey, this guy's trying to rebel against the king. The same king who said, hey, I'm letting you go rebuild the wall. So it's funny that they're saying that. But they say, you're rebelling against the king. But not only that, they're just trying to take the wind out of the sails of the people wanting to rebuild. And they want to make sure that they can make these people second guess their dedication so they'll abandon what they started. And that's when we hear Nehemiah telling them, you're inventing these things out of your mind. What What you've said has not taken place. He says, you know, you're trying to frighten us, thinking they will drop from their work but it will not be done and says, but now strengthen my hands. And so the way that I thought about this when it came to this whole idea of hands and people of faith and what does that mean for us to use our hands is if you read throughout the story of Nehemiah, there's this beautiful picture of the people of God coming shoulder and shoulder and rebuilding together. Nehemiah didn't do this alone, but it was the the people of the city who said, hey, I, I can't rebuild the whole thing but I can use my hands and rebuild what's literally in front of my house. And that's what I'm going to do. And it talks about how day and night these people were next to each other rebuilding and how their hands got dirty and they put in the work because they believed that something new and beautiful could be built. And for me, that gives me hope when I think about the future of the church because we're not saying we want to go back to how things used to be, because there are a lot of really crummy things about how things used to be. But I believe there is hope because I believe there is beauty right now, but even more beauty in the future. So I wanna use my hands to make something beautiful as a follower of God. And I, I wanna do that with all of you. I wanna look next to you, shoulder to shoulder to you and know that we are building something good. And so once again, that's not denying the past, but it's letting the past inform us so we don't make the same mistakes, but make something more beautiful. And so I think once again, this breathtaking image of something that had been reduced to ashes, just crumbled on the ground that Nehemiah and his friends and the people in this community saw that as fertile ground to make something new happen, a new beginning. So I would say whenever we are discouraged as people of faith, when there are people um, that are hurting others, people that want to push people out, people that would rather spread hate than spread the love that we have known through Jesus, that I would say that we have fertile ground to make something new happen. So we don't have to remain in those pieces of what used to be, that we can create something new with God alongside each other. My prayer for us as followers of Christ is that we can look down at the story our hands tell. You know, I have scars on my hands, um, but those scars don't just tell me that my hands were wounded, they tell me that my hands can heal and that I'm not always gonna be in pain. Not denying the pain that maybe we have experienced from ways that we have fallen short in following God. But I know that there is something better ahead. So I'm going to keep using my hands to build something like that. So I I think about that as this inexpressible inexpressible joy that I have when I think about the future of faith. It's not going to look like anything it's ever looked like before. And that is good. That is beautiful. That is exciting. So My prayer for us as we leave this place is that we too would ask God, now strengthen my hands. Knowing that God has called us to build and rebuild. So throughout this week, as you're at work or at home, um, if you ever get a chance, just glance down at your hands. Think of the story that they have told of you up to this point in your life. And then think of all the things that you will accomplish with them. So the way that your hands are unique, recognize those things. And I also think that there's something so enchanting about the way Christ used his hands to put faith into motion when he was here on earth, the way he fed the hungry, the way that he blessed the despised, that he treasured the outcast and that he embraced the unclean That he broke bread and drank wine knowing that some were plotting against him, but he remained in that to show us how to build something new, even though it hurt and even though it was hard. And when I think of some of the highlights of Christ's story with his hands, I think of scripture like Matthew 19 that says, the children were being brought to him in order that he might lay his hands on them and pray. Mark 8, then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked intently, and his sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. As the sun was setting, this is Luke 4, all those caring for any who were sick with various kinds of diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on each of them and cured them. Luke 23, then Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. In Luke 24, that the Son of Man may be handed over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. So for me, this Jesus, this person that I follow after, that I try to model the way I live my life um, after, it is the way that I want to, same way that he used his hands, is how I want to use my hands as well. That in places where people would say it's hopeless, that I would say, no, I wanna build something that is hope-filled. In places where people feel unlove, I want to use my hands to bring love, to bring peace, to bring all of the things that I know Christ to be. Um, our son's middle name is Thomas, and I've always had this fascination with that disciple because Thomas was a disciple that wasn't afraid to tell his friends, hey, I don't believe that. But the beautiful thing about his friends, too, is they didn't rush to change his mind. They let him be exactly who he was. And one thing that I admire about Thomas is that, that boldness, that ability to say, hey, here's where I am. But what I also love about this story is what Christ said to him when he came back and saw Thomas. Luke 24, 39, Jesus said, look at my hands. Look at my feet, see that I am, that it is I myself, touch and see. So not only do we know ourselves through our hands, we have these deep connections with one another because of what our hands mean. We can come alongside one another and build something good and new with our hands. And I believe that the way that we see the goodness of Christ is to also look and see his hands. What are they doing? What have they done in the world? How can we join him in that calling? So my prayer we leave really this place is that we encounter God in the way that we use our hands and that we encounter God in the way that we see one another using your hands and in places where there is pain and darkness that we could build something new and beautiful. So would you pray with me? Lord God, the one who crafted us with your hands, the one who holds us in your hands. God, the one who welcomes all, who feeds us, who gives us drink, God, who comforts us, who celebrates with us. God, we thank you that you have used your hands to show us what it means to um, be a part of community. So we pray that this night we will be reminded of the strength that we have in our own hands, the strength for good. We pray that we would use our hands to make something new and different and that we would follow the way that you lead us. And Lord, that we would look to you um, and see your hands and what they do and the work that you have done and what it means to us. We pray all of this in the name of our Savior. Amen. Amen.
1: Thanks, Katie. Mm -hmm. I love the reminder that our hands really do communicate who we are, what we believe, maybe how we love. That would be the hope, wouldn't it? Our hands communicating how we love one another. I love the idea, Katie, that um, with those hands, we can bring hope and make this world a better place. That was such a wonderful message. And it made me think about things I hadn't thought about in a long time, how our hands, um, the scars, got a lot of age marks on these hands, but I've lived a lot of life, a lot of joy, some sorrow, everything in between. But what a gift it is that we follow after a God, who, as Katie said, used his hands to love and heal and include and embrace and that means that's what we're called to do too all those things i was thinking as you were talking as i'm getting up to do words of institution i wonder what the disciples around that table were thinking when they looked at jesus's hands as he took the bread And he broke that bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. I imagine those hands were worn, maybe dry, a little cracked. But they knew those hands of hands of love as he broke that bread. And then Jesus took the cup and after pouring wine into the cup, he held that cup up with his hands and he said, this is my blood shed for you the new covenant when you drink from this cup. Remember me and we could look at his hands and we can remember that. We can remember his love for us. So during the music, we invite you to come up as you'd like. There'll be two people standing here. You can take the bread and you can dip it into the cup. And maybe you can be and I can be and we can all be thinking about how these hands of ours make this world a better place. How these hands of ours connect us in a way that bring hope and joy and God's love to one another. Please stand as together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.
0: um, that every week uh, before we do the benediction, we always say, extend your hands. And so now as we use our hands to receive this blessing, um, hear this benediction and receive this in the hands of yours that have a story that have been called to do good work. So here are the words of our benediction. No matter who you are or what you've done, who you love or what you've lost, Where you've been or where you've stayed, there will always be a seat for you at the table because you are a beloved child of God and beloved, you belong. Go in peace.